We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Capture the Cellulite and Make Time for This, proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. Andrew, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I keep forgetting to shave, so I look like uh, like a hiker who got I thought, lost. I thought it was intentional. It looks good. Uh, you know, growing, growing it out changing some things up i look but right now i'm in the phase where i look like a hiker who's gotten lost in the woods and it's been like a couple weeks and he's been surviving off like berries and snacks that he brought and then they found me and they're like i'm going from like they're lifting me up in the helicopter and then like uh the medical team's checking me out that's the aesthetic i'm going for right now yeah and we're here to talk about the fables uh <laughs> steven spielberg's uh autobiographical life story the fables not a lot of parallel. I should have led with the other thing we'll talk about, which honestly, you might fit a lot more in that world. And um, we're gonna talk about the Favons up front, and then towards the back end of the pod, we are also gonna talk uh, about the Last of Us. We talked about the first episode. We said we'll drop back pretty regularly, and we'll do that. We'll talk about episode two and mostly episode three. So that's fun. All right, the Favons, Andrew. People listening to this uh, in the United States of America, where I know the vast majority of our listeners are, maybe like, why are you talking about the Fablemans in what's well, essentially now February? It's February when this drops, Andrew. Why are you talking about the Fablemans in February? That that movie came out of Thanksgiving. Well, Andrew, it did not come out of Thanksgiving everywhere. It came out of Thanksgiving in the US. It did not do very good business, which made quite a lot of noise for a Spielberg film. We'll unpack some of that in a while. Um, and it landed on streaming very quickly. Was it Peacock? Am I right in saying Peacock? Uh, I feel like it was I Universal, so I, I'm I guessing. Hope, I hope it was something I had to pay for, so I don't feel foolish for not having rewatched it for this podcast. Yeah, I need to. I need to look. That. I I do believe the Fablemans, um, went to Peacock. 
or maybe it's not there yet and it was just on VOD. Regardless, yeah. this movie became available to uh to watch at home in a remarkably short turnaround. Um you're looking at something like two weeks. Don't think that was necessarily the full plan for that film, but again when the audience didn't really seem to find it. I don't think it's a coincidence that December 13th, when it went to VOD, if that is not the day Avatar The Way of Water came out, it is like the day before it. So they clearly just went, oh, well, there goes that. People are going to see something else. And given how that movie performed, they may not have been wrong, Andrew. But a lot of people have been living with this movie for a while. Look, if I really wanted to, I could have seen this movie at home on a small screen at any juncture, really, over the past two months. And I held out, and I held out, and I said, I've got to see a new Steven Spielberg movie in theaters. Uh, I, I I, don't need to give all the boring details. I booked a bugged out. I had it canceled on me. I booked a replacement screening. They canceled on me because the projector failed. It wasn't going great. Found a window to get this in so we could do this podcast battled through a migraine on the way there, but I saw it, Andrew. I saw the Fablements. Was it worth it? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think that's by way of the waiting, making it something or me overhyping it. I'm kind of excited to talk through this because I do think it's interesting. Um, and I, I do think it's got a really, really strong reception i don't even mean critically i mean from a lot of people who i just like on a more individual level who i i respect their opinions on movies they've really kind of responded to this and and outside and outsized oh this is maybe spielberg's like real late period masterpiece i just don't know i'm excited to work our way through that with you but i've touched on what what my experience was the waiting game, the finally getting to see it. You did get to see this one right back around Thanksgiving. It's probably about as kind of instant as you went to see any movie relative to its release of the past few months, which is kind of ironic, even then I had to play the waiting game. Uh, I think it was uh, due to uh, lodging concerns with me, which why it was why I was eager to get out of the house. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a little holiday humor for anyone that has, you know, relatives come to town. Um, yeah, saw it very quickly. You know, Spielberg's not someone who I would ever say is like that. That's my guy. That's my favorite director. But obviously, he's an all timer and has some of my movies that are all time favorites for me and just people in general, especially mainstream films. We had a podcast where we talked about Jaws and E.T. probably over a year ago now. Time no, 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 nowhere near that. Nowhere near that. It really? Like, okay. Um, July, August, September. That was the kind of window where they got late summer re-releases for their anniversaries. Um, okay. Uh, if you say so. I'm living in a, in a straight line, Adam. Um, actually, that's not true because if you listen to Cruising for a Bruising, we are rewatching the 2018 Milwaukee Brewers playoff run. Tune in to playback, listen to the podcast to hear more. Uh, but Steven Spielberg is a guy, he, you know, he comes out with a movie even at this stage in his career. Um, and you go see it. And, you know, the, the last two, I thought West Side Story was a little bit of a disappointment, but I thought it was well directed and 
I enjoyed most of it. I enjoyed most everything except Ansel Elgort and some other things. Uh, mm-hmm. How how that guy's a thing, I'll never understand. Um, and I haven't seen it since, so who knows how it's aged. But I really liked Ready Player One uh, a few years ago when it came out. I thought that was a another. There are dozens solid... of us. Dozens of us, Andrew. The the Ready Player One hive. Everyone everyone hated Ready Player One and thought he's lost the plot and it's really terrible. I will echo what you said. I have not seen it since I saw it in uh, 3D IMAX at the time it was released, which is always a dangerous game. You know, it can, can inflate opinions a little bit. I really, really liked it. And I thought some of the stuff that people hated, some notable sequences in particular, well, they worked for me. I had fun and that's all that matters. Even something like Bridge of Spies or The Post are just like very competently made mainstream sure. movies. Uh, Did you see the BFG? So go- didn't ma- didn't make uh, didn't make my my watch list. BFG you know is the worst we- thing he's ever done. So I'll just okay. I'll, I'll go well, ahead. It's worse than the terrible Indiana Jones. It's the worst thing he's done. But your point on Bridge of Spies, your point of The Post, I think, is one well taken that. He doesn't really do stinkers. Like he's going to, the mediocre Spielberg may feel a bit mediocre, Hollywood in a lot of ways, but it is the very, very best of it in all levels. Um, one in terms of his craft and his directorial ability, but also then the people that he attracts to work with him in front and behind the camera. And so going into the the Fablemans, I sort of had that level of expectation. Um. And then obviously seeing some of the reviews and, and ratings of people that you mentioned uh, that I respect. and But that being said, uh, y- you don't always align one-to-one on a, on a critic uh, and your own opinion of a movie, as we discussed with something like Ready Player One. Went into The Fablemans, uh, and I was thoroughly whelmed. I really enjoyed it. I thought it is above the criteria that I said of like his just borderline good mediocre but like highly competent film i thought it was just like a a really well made well acted for the most part and just a little little long um i if my movies are gonna go over two and a half hours i want them to be avatar um but i was thoroughly is it, is well it that long? is it that long it, it wow, felt it long, is that long. it's over two and a half hours yeah um and i like that it's a departure for for Spielberg into telling something that's so autobiographical. I mean, as a filmmaker, you're showing a part of yourself anytime you make a movie and just like your influences and how you approach subject matter. But getting to see him tell such a personal story in a more direct way, not just like, you know, with an alien kind of unpacking your parents' divorce and your upbringing that way, but then just getting to like walk us through what was a traumatic moment of your life as it is like parallels your inspiration and how you turn into what you are now as a filmmaker so i thought it was really successful in all those regards and uh i mean it it just kind of lived up to my expectations of what i thought this film was going to be exactly that being said i didn't have the trials and tribulations uh <laughs> to get to see it it was very easy for me uh Although I think this was the movie, and I messaged you about it, where when I was getting to my seat, the, the people in my row thought I was a delivery person bringing them their popcorn. Oh wow, I don't remember that. I mean, to be clear on this, this is this is a very good movie. I want to, 
by my lead into it is not for me to be like Steven Spielberg is a fraud and the fable one sucks. That's clearly not the case. I had a I didn't I didn't mean to present it that No, yes, no, I don't I don't think you were either, but I was just thinking it it sounds like I'm leading off with a contrarian thing. I'm not. Um I guess I just went into it thinking there's a chance it could be my favorite movie of the year, which is a very high and lofty standard set anything. Wasn't expecting it to be that, but I was thinking, you know, could be. There's a chance. And I it wasn't that. It wasn't right up there at my favorites of the year. I had a perfectly nice time. There's a lot I really liked and admired about the movie. Um, and I think it's a very effective way of him telling that story. I am interested in his desire, need to do that. I'm not saying he shouldn't. I'm not the person to tell him. He's Stephen F. and Spielberg. He can do whatever he wants to do, and he should. He should make whatever movies he wants. Um, but I will I will go counter to your point and be like, you know what? Some of this is more interesting to me when he's working through it with the alien. Um, because that is where he gives over to pure imagination, which is really, I think, what he has done better than any other filmmaker, maybe in the history of the medium. Um, there's plenty of that there, and there's there's lots of really, really good stuff, and I think you can see his various interests. Like, obviously, you get the touchstones to a lot of those films where really he was covering this time and his own experiences in much more um, obtuse ways in the past. This time, it becomes a lot clearer. You also see, in some sense, I think, how much fun he had doing West Side Story and how that kind of carries over here. West Side Story, I'm trying to think if we did a full pod on it or if we just kind of talked about it at some point. I was so looking forward to that, and that left me cold. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of the changes that were made. Ansel Elgort was a problem, but I did think just structurally some of the changes that were made didn't quite work. At its best, it was really, really incredible. I don't know. I'm I'm now starting to think, and I'm thinking of his lighter stuff, and I'm like, is it Tony Kushner? Am I allergic to Tony Kushner? And there's some quality that comes into the stories here that doesn't just quite kind of fit what I want. One of the things I think a lot of people might have heard about the Fablemans, and I, I know I had certainly heard, and if there was one thing I allowed to inform expectations, it was this, was the idea that We've talked, I think we talked about it on the Babylon episode. Um, it's a bad trailers doing the rounds lately and not not helping films that actually turned out to be catastrophic box office bombs, uh, which it's funny how that happens. Babylon is the greatest example of that. Its first trailer was absolutely terrible and did it no favors. I think the, the main Fableman's trailer that I've been seeing is pretty bad too. It is the most treacly thing you'll ever see. And I found it a little bit off-putting. I'm like, surely this isn't just this sweet and this charming. And from the very first screenings and from long beyond that, because most of the world had seen it, um, what I had started to hear is a lot of, no, this has a, this has a darker edge, like a maybe a sharper tongue. There's something a bit more acidic that's there this isn't just Spielberg doing something that's kind of really classic, warm family Spielberg. And I guess it's not by the fact that it's a film about divorce. 
but I don't really think it pushes that too far. I don't think it strays too far from that. And that's okay, but it just wasn't quite as, I don't know, invigorating for me as the idea would have been of, oh, Spielberg is making like his family drama and he's really, he's really digging in and he's, he's going to put up on screen, which I think he does here. And I tip my hat to him for that. But I think there's, there's moments where maybe you, I don't know, is anyone this nice? Is anyone this full of heart? Maybe the man who makes E.T. is. But there's a lot of kind of pivot points even in the story where you're left to kind of weigh up, oh, you know, is is young Sammy Favon underneath all? Is he really just like this, this nice guy where he's just, everything else is kind of glossed over. He can let things, you know, water off a duck's back. And he's just going to get on with it because some things are bigger than that. On the one hand, he seems like he's really got his priorities in order. And the other, I'm like, wow, is Steven Spielberg really this good at just not letting anything get to him ever? Is that a weird reaction to have? Do you understand what I'm saying at all? I do uh, understand where you're coming from. I felt that as well, that it was a little pulled back from uh, unleashing any kind of acidity or just like steering into the real darkness of like what it means for a family when they have to go some through something like this because it affects everyone involved in different ways and I think it's for him it's a tough tightrope to walk obviously both of his parents have, have passed away and he was never gonna make this movie while they were still living I don't think but he still probably wants to kind of handle it a little delicately and be fair to both of them and that might make for a I don't just think movie. both of them though to himself my... I guess as well if you're and keep going I, I don't I honestly don't really know of a character in this film I think there's one character maybe who, and I mean minor character whose story doesn't get filled out I think this film is almost fair to as many characters as possible to a fault at times in ways that are they can be interesting but I do think also set up like the oh here's Judd Hirsch and he's gonna steal a couple of scenes here and we're gonna nominate him for an Oscar and kind of somewhat distracting like it's just, it's it's like a stunt in its own right um, but obviously I mean to we're not gonna I don't, well, are we going to spoil the movie that has been available to most people for quite some time? I don't know. Um, sure. We don't have to get into specifics right now, but Seth Rogen's character, for example, um, given more than the benefit of the doubt, and maybe that is just with hindsight and the maturity of a man of his, his years now, he's able to view it through that. But it's also a choice to... Like, you come to make this film at this age, which, what's Spielberg now? 77, something like that? You come to make it at this age, and that makes sense, but one of the problems when filmmakers get to that age, and particularly if they start to look at their younger life, is they make films about being a young man through old man's eyes. And I did feel some of that here. 
I did feel there's like the niceness isn't just oh this is like classic Spielberg and it's warm I, I do think there is something of whether it's an element of rose tinted glasses or just him very much being at a place where he's like look well I came out of all of this and it worked out pretty well for me and all of those people I think we're trying to do the best for for me and my siblings and uh, each other and themselves and like I admire it and I respect its ability to do that and I, I know why that will resonate with a lot of people very strongly but for me it was something that Again, this is not like I'm just oh, it didn't work at all. But I it I did rub rub up against it a little bit where you're like, is this does this feel right? Particularly maybe by the second half when it becomes a story that's very much tr- told through Sammy, young Sammy's perspective, and it simultaneously feels like it's being told through Stephen or old Sammy's perspective at the same time, which the two are gonna naturally seep in, but there is a real difference between who young Sammy Fableman was, young Steven Spielberg at that time, versus the guy who's making the movie. And when you can't keep the really tight grip on, this has got to feel like that young man's movie when we're giving his perspective at that time. I think that's a, that's a challenge. I don't think he wants to do that, and that's fine. I just think it makes for an interesting dynamic. Yeah, um, I get part of it is, I think, you and I went in with different sets of expectations. And I think people led you astray a little bit because the, the squid and the whale type of divorce movie is I not was something... expecting that to be fair. I know, but, but you yeah. know, there's, there's a line between the Fablemans and the squid and the whale that maybe there's a lot of room what... between the two. But yeah, it's to, to me, this was just like exactly what I expect out of a Steven Spielberg, uh, divorce movie. Like it, it, it was that, a movie that I rate a little higher would maybe, uh, you know, go a little more off the road into Babylon territory with this, but not, you know, not Squid the Whale. But, uh, I mean, it's a tough movie to talk about because I haven't seen it in two months. But uh, it, early in the movie, it almost it almost feels like. But uh, let's just they, I don't I don't want well, you early in the movie. Well, no, I, what I'll put you because you can add this to your point because. I am interested because it's two months since you've seen it. So whatever you're going to bring here is something that is very much still front of mind or when you look to think about it, it's coming to it. So that in its own right is interesting. So you can consider your point now, but don't don't undercut it like that because I do think that distance, what matters to you with it still is probably going to tell us something in its own right because I don't have to look through that distance yet. Well, I think there the back and forth of what I think the film is accomplishing as it moves forward are two different things. Obviously we're supposed to see the Steven Spielberg that came, became enamored with movies and filmmaking. So we get the shots of him recreating the train stuff. And then a lot of that is obviously scenes with his parents as well. So how he relates to Michelle Williams uh, and her form of parenting, how he relates to Paul Dano and his form of parenting. And as we see uncle Bernie, as the prominent fixture in their lives and start to form an idea of what's going on it, th- throughout points. It's th- that balancing act between him as this burgeoning young filmmaker and also as a conduit for us to watch our marriage kind of come to an end in real time. And I think, uh, 
the balance can be off from time to time. Uh, but I don't think it at any point that it, it detracts from what it is as a whole. I mean, I think Michelle Williams and Paul Dano, actually, there's been a lot said of Michelle Williams, obviously nominated for an Oscar for this role. Uh, was Dano as well? No, he was not. He was snubbed. He was he was not. But I, so she's doing a lot in this movie and he's kind of doing a little for m- the most part. And I think those contrasts in like his just like affectations and mannerisms that allow him to play both uh, the Riddler and also like a 1950s uh, dad. Paul Dan, a really interesting actor and with, uh, you know, very, he's very specific in the way kind of his physicality and his voice and his cadence uh, like project him into roles, but I really like what he does most of the time. Uh, I was enjoying uh, kind of seeing them through his eyes as he starts to view his parents as, you know, real people instead of uh, just his parents. And that becomes too much for him when he knows too much too early. And I, I don't know, I was really into that part of the story and then i was really into uh kind of the movie making stuff but they felt like two different movies at times if that makes sense we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I'm glad you brought up Dano so early because Dano is by a million miles my favorite thing about this movie. I love this performance. One of my favorites of the year. 
I just don't get it. I don't get how that performance is not being recognized. Um, I know all of this is bullshit and this stuff happens regularly. I don't know how that gets overlooked. For example, when Judd Hirsch, for his seven minutes of screen time, it might be eight minutes, how when that is actually getting recognized then. And that is just... I don't get I, that I, at all. I, look, I think part of that is it's very late in his career. He's a popular figure, a great actor, and people are like, we loved seeing him get to come and do that in a movie, and we want to acknowledge him right now, which is always part of how his plays. Paul Dano is one of the best actors of his generation by a long way, by a long way. And if he's not being taught about like that, part of it is just because of how interesting he is. Uh, for example, we're talking about divorce movies. Maybe he actually hit one that gets somewhere between Squid and the Whale and The Fablements, which is Wildlife, which he directed. I would have liked just a couple of moments to get to wildlife because I actually the mother son dynamic in that film. Um, I don't think it would ever get pushed as far here, nor should it for the film Spielberg was making. But it, I, it doesn't feel like a coincidence that Spielberg casts Dano, who directed a really, really strong film about like a young boy seeing the world through the prism of his parents' relationship falling apart and, you know, other ma- male figures coming into his life and him trying to make sense of that. Like, that that just it can't be a coincidence. There's no way. So, uh, I, I do think, to get back to Dano, though, there is something about his face, his, his voice, his body language. There's something about there's a kind of I, I don't speak like this very often, Andrew. It sounds like I've lost the plot. I assure you I haven't. His spirit, like he has an energy on screen that I think a lot of people at this point are probably familiar with him for playing like psychopaths. Um, the Riddler is certainly fresh in people's minds. And that was a really good performance going the completely different direction. I don't know if there's another actor as just perfectly suited to doing this. I can't think of too many either. Like, I was trying to work through, I was like, who in recent years even just has something of this energy that that role, the person I came to that I don't think they could ultimately get there because they always had something that's just, the smile just went a bit too Hollywood charm, just a touch too far. And as actually happens in some of his films, you feel like he's going to break out into a song and dance. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, though, when he kind of really came to prominence, had something of that too, where there's just a warmth to him. There was kind of an ease and a calmness. I, I think Dano brings a lot of that to this character here too. And I don't know. It's a really interesting one. I mean, the story goes that um, Steven Spielberg was estranged from his father for basically the guts of 15 years and it it was really i guess pushing what happens in the movie a whole lot further which is that in real life his father just kind of took one for the team he kind of took if not the blame he was like okay well if the relationship has fallen apart well i just won't see the kids so that you know their mother still gets to see them and everything can kind of trick on one way or another without really having done anything wrong um in the sense that anyone ever does anything wrong or doesn't. That's interesting. And 
I don't know, is it that that's too messy to just drop into this movie? Like, is why does that not get in there? Why why is there a neater arc out of that? The decision to make it the way it is in the film, that's something that gets my attention because I am more interested in trying to see how the other version applies out because, look, guess what? It, it played out well. Um, Steven Spielberg, to my knowledge and from anything I've read, like he spent the majority of his life on really great terms with both of his parents. And his parents continued to love and care for each other very much. Life took them in different directions. There were complicated times in their life, but they they worked out how they needed to be to support their children, and all of that seemed to work out well. Like, that's interesting. That's, to me, in some ways more interesting than what becomes a much more traditional, linear, oh, the marriage broke down, and the father's here, and this is the kind of place he lives now, and the mother's here, and this is the kind of place she lives um that's something that kind of caught my eye but for dano i just think there's like a real dignity and quiet grace and yet he's a strong character and what we haven't really touched on i can't remember i i read or heard somewhere someone made the point which i do think is a really good one that it does feel like the central structure and the kind of the two-hander nature of this, if we take Sammy out of it, where you've got uh, not quite the light and the dark, but you've got the father and the mother as like these two totems that are dictating the terms of this film. There is something very kind of, I don't know, it feels like this is the results of, you know, years of therapy that he's come to frame them in this way, where it's, it's the purest, like, my mother is art, my father is engineering and craft and uh, precision. There's actually something very uh, Malikian about that. Like, if Terrence Malick wanted to make a, a follow-up to Tree of Life, and it was like, yeah, the mother is art. We already had the mother is grace and nature, and the father being the... There, there's something to that which I guess he has retconned that in his own head. That's how he makes sense of who he is and how all the pieces come together, where it's like, yeah, this is how I'm the filmmaker, but this is how the films I make are like Jaws and Jurassic Park. And that may all be true, but it's, a, again, as characters, it's an interesting thing to put on people who were real people. And we're not just real people, but your parents to be like, yeah, in this story, they are serving as the composite parts of, Sammy Fableman, the filmmaker. That's kind of interesting to me. But yeah, Dano, I think as his, as his father, I was all in on. I love Michelle Williams. She's one of my favorite actresses. I generally love when she went big, when she goes big in a performance too. Not sure on this one. I don't know. Like that's the only Steven Spielberg can know. And to him, she might have been the perfect essence of his mother, and that's what he's looking for in casting. To me, it didn't quite feel the right match for it. And even I, I was thinking a little bit, I was like, Dana and Michelle Williams, would I ever put them together? They're actually much closer in age than I thought. I think the fact that Dana was playing a teenager for what seemed like quite a long time, <laughs> uh, maybe skewed. That's only four years between them. But there's still something didn't didn't quite click. Um, I wonder. I wonder. Could you have done it a different way? Could you've could you cast Zoe Kazan, Paul Dano's real life wife, uh, in 
in the role of Mitzi. Do they want to be cast as a couple who are going to go through a painful divorce? That is also probably a different question. But that is an actress that came to mind for me. I'm like, oh, what does seem like a a somewhat more natural dynamic with Dano, even if they're pitched at completely different places? That was one that came to me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that in terms of either of those performances or how they work together. Yeah, I think Dano's just the best in the movie, no question. Um, as I said before, when he's in something, I'm usually in on his performance, so that's not a shock. Same with Michelle Williams. I think it is it's an extra performance, uh, to to quote millennials, I guess. Um But I I think the pairing works because you're like not able to buy it to a degree and yeah, they are a marriage. couple yeah and they are a couple that does not make it and so i think that really works and they play off of each other well and especially especially as we get towards the point where it unravels completely because for a lot of this film michelle williams is playing mitzi as a woman that's like bursting at the seams trying not to explode with just this unhappiness as she tries to do what she thinks is best for her family at large even if it's against what she wants and what she needs to be happy so for those reasons i think that whole dynamic and both those performances work i think it's anchored by dano and his strong without his strong performance in that role i don't think it comes together at all i i totally get if people are like what the hell is michelle williams doing in this role and if it doesn't work for them um and I I agree that, you know, would love to see Zoe Kazan and Paul Dana uh, act against one another as, you know, as a couple, uh, but maybe in a movie where everything works out just because, you know, I you know don't want bad things for them personally. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm I'm on board with that, too. I'm not wishing any ill will. Um, they did have that. Was it Ruby Sparks? Was not the film that they I think they actually met on. Um, yeah, where, uh, where Zoe Kazan was the imaginary. I we don't need to we don't need to spoil or honestly unpack. Uh, what, what uh, might have been the life. peak of of manic pixie dream girl. Wildlife wild... is a is a better collaboration. Their their yes, screenplay. Yes. Um. What did what did you think of? Okay, so you've already mentioned the filmmaking. So the key thing unsurprisingly driving true the autobiographical steven spielberg film is a love of the movies and the film essentially opens up with uh, sammy favelman's parents trying to talk the very young sammy into um going to see a film at the cinema not to be for, not to be scared of what he's gonna see to explain you know yeah sure the figures are big the room will be dark this the sound will be loud, all this kind of stuff. He goes to see uh, Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth. Not necessarily thought of as a classic, um, but maybe that is autobiographical. I'm assuming that actually is the movie that he first saw or that led to his epiphany for him because it would be a very random one otherwise. And from some kind of nice set pieces in that and some kind of cool, playful stuff that leads to young Sammy trying to recreate the the train sequences and the 
the explosion sequences of trains and stuff like that at home with a camera and his own model train set. Um, we see things scale up as Sammy gets older and we see him put on some very, very impressive uh, productions with friends and family over the years. This is, I think, a lot of the best of the movie. Um, I do think at times I was wondering how do you find an anchor for it? And I think without getting into the end of the film, which you might touch on with a brief kind of spoiler later, certainly one detail I want to talk about. Um, I I was, as I was watching, I found myself actively kind of wondering, oh, where are they going to end this? Because it might make sense if you're leaning into this much of it to give us a little bit of, oh, Spielberg is the director now. Like, this is also the Fablemans versus it actually being Spielberg. Do you think it's not called the Spielbergs and this character is not called Steven Spielberg just like for some pretense of vanity? I I don't get how he's just openly being like, yeah, this is autobiographical and no one's raised their hand to being like, but you named the character Sammy Fableman, Steven. I, I don't get that because where I'm going with that is the only difference. If you make this the Spielbergs, which should be very weird, and I I acknowledge that, but listen, I'd be here for it. That would be a bold swing to just be like, yeah, my new film, it's called The Spielbergs. But you can end this with, like, him on the set of Jaws. You know, it, it opens up ways to do that. I mean, you could have done that with an equivalent movie in, in this scenario, but I do think so much of the, the movie making is so central and so exciting, and I think gives a the movie a lot of its verve that my thing as I was watching was okay so how do you keep this momentum and energy and how do you build to this and then what is the payoff for the people who've been appreciating this all along and are here because this is the kind of the filmic uh, coming of age story of Steven Spielberg did, have, did you give that any thought at all before I said it or again am I a crazy person but this the Fablemans um Maybe there's legalities involved. I don't know. It seems like yeah. he's on good terms with all his family and or they're no longer with us. So I would have thought he had some freedom. Um, but yeah, this is more specifically filming it, feeding into the film, making content within. And I guess some of the possibilities that could have been on the table if you want to take it a slightly different way. Uh, so I thought about that earlier when we were talking about it. Why is it not the Spielbergs? At first, I thought there was some degree of just removing full 100% autobiography autobiography from it. So you know that the broad strokes of this story and a lot of the details are accurate. But, oh, it, it's a character. So it's, it's you know, take ev- don't take everything at face value. Did Mitzi Fableman, or whatever Spielberg's mom's name was, dance in a nightgown in front of car lights and did Steven Spielberg film it. We don't have to know if that's 100% sure. true because it's it's Mitzi Fableman. It's not Spielberg. But that also that, being... that, that can be fictionalized in the completely you know representative portrait of the Spielbergs too. I know you know that but it, continue. Exactly which is why that's not my take on why it wasn't the Spielbergs. Now legalities and all that we don't know but I almost wonder if he felt like it would be a distraction and almost like too self-absorbed to do that. I know you're telling a story about yourself and like how you became who you are, 
but I don't know if that's something that factored in there. But Adam, another question I have and reason Jibana, for if before I just before your question, because I've got an answer for this. Okay. I've, I've done some reading. Um Tony Kushner gave an explanation for this. Uh so he made up the name Fableman. And this is a quote from Tony Kushner. Spielberg means play mountain. Spieler is an actor in Yiddish, and a spiel can be a speech or can be a play. I wanted to have some of that meaning. So, fable, man. And I've always liked the German word fable, which means fable. And because the movie is autobiographical for Stephen, but isn't an autobiography, it's not a documentary, so there is a fictional element as well. So I thought the Fableman was a nod to that. That is an all-time plate of word salad that's just being served <laughs> up there. The movie is autobiographical for Stephen, but it isn't an autobiography. It's not a documentary, so there's a fictional element as well. So, who cares? I I don't know. Like Maybe part of this is uh, particularly based on what you and I might have liked, but other people didn't like about Ready Player One. Maybe the worst idea possible for Steven Spielberg would have been to finish this movie on the set of Jaws. I think that if you're making the film about your own life, and part of it is kind of, I'm pretty great, haven't I? Look at look at what made me so great. Not in a way that is as kind of that great in how it's presented like that, but in a way that is, he has to openly acknowledge that. And let's be fair, I think everyone kind of pretty openly acknowledged that there aren't many people on the planet that I think you could say their name and people would just nod and agree and be like, yeah, I guess that guy is kind of great. You know, it's, it's like there's, I, I at least like some of his movies. I have, I'm sure someone exists, Andrew. I don't think I've met a person who has just been like, no, I hate every single Steven Spielberg movie. That guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's not for me. Um, I just think that's an interesting wrinkle in this story because one of the things when I did eventually get to see this film um and i felt like i earned this it was it was a nice gesture on steven spielberg's part but i was greeted before um the opening credits rolled by a pre-recorded message from steven spielberg um where he made reference to this being like his story so again like he's been out here talking about it very very clearly so the Favelmans gives a level of remove and it is okay. So what is the, what are you doing with the level of remove? If the answer is as simple as, Oh, well, it's not entirely factual. I kind of like, what are we doing here? Every biopic ever made is mostly not factual. And that doesn't stop people. I don't know. Naming it after the person. Like, let's say for example, this year we had Elvis, we have blonde, do we think Blonde is entirely factual? Do we think Blonde is a really, like, not a biopic, anyway. So we don't we don't need to fully kind of unpack that one. But to the larger point, I just think it's an interesting choice. Um, uh, I I really, on, really, you really, had another need, I really, really need to see Jim Cameron make his version of this. And it ends with him walking out of this, uh, the first screening of Avatar to A Way of Water. And he spikes his Oscar from titanic and goes big jim did it again and that's how it ends i think my question probably did make his version of this that it was probably avatar uh fair enough 
Um, him being transported to this world and just deciding to live there instead. It was little did we know that the film about a man going to live in Pandora was literally about Jim Cameron saying, I am going to live in Pandora for the rest of my career. Do you, do you think that on a literal sense, he is just like his consciousness is in a Pandora simulator right now? <laughs> no, I, he's listen. Big Jim has got some big stuff going on. I don't know what kind of food crisis he's tackling right now. Um, I'm trying to remember what exactly was it he was. Was it for a, a, a non dairy milk or. Um, it was part of the part of the the plant protein, wasn't it? Right, that was going in like all of the most popular um, meat substitute burgers around the world. Big Jim was like, "This is the next big thing, big business, good for the planet. Count me in." And he just essentially became the biggest provider in all of North America for that that particular plant protein. But anyway, we're getting sidetracked on to I hope James Cameron's he... grand scale farming. I hope he named it Big Jim and Beyond. Um, my question was: If this movie is called The Spielbergs, do you think more people go and see it? Yes. Or do you think that's okay? Yes. I, I, do you think the Fablemans? I mean, it's a made-up name, so do you think it's a good name though? Like, as in, when the movie is called The Fablemans, I don't like having this conversation because I think it really dumbs stuff down. And you know, I don't care what a movie's called. I'm just gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna go and see it, and I'll judge it for itself. But I'm fully aware that's not how everyone else works. And being like, oh, what are we going to see? And you've got Avatar The Way of Water. Or you've got The Fablemans. I mean, obviously, there is a counter-programming element. And there's someone who's always going to choose one side of that over the other. But I, I don't think The Fablemans is doing as much for this. And also, like Spielberg, I think, in an industry sense, has done the oh, I'm going to appear and I'm going to talk about this because this is my big thing. I don't know to what extent you can do this. Like, how do you do this with a 77-year-old man now? But I, I haven't necessarily felt like he's been everywhere promoting this so that the Fablemans became shorthand for the Spielbergs for just the average American consumer who might like to go and see a movie. Like, have have you felt that? Do you have... Like, is there, like, talk shows or stuff? Is he, like, showing up on, like, Good Morning America and I don't know about it? Have you been struggling to avoid Steven Spielberg for the past two and a half months? Because even the, I... the quick cycle and the, the quick kind of move to PVOD, that cut that short as well. Like, there wasn't the kind of promotion cycle. The movie premiered at TIFF. He went to TIFF. He was honored there. He presented it. And I think he's done some industry press and obviously done some of the lobbying for Oscar purposes and kind of feels like that's been it. I haven't noticed uh, Steven Spielberg oversaturation of the market at all. Uh, and I would say my YouTube algorithm would serve that up to me if that were something that was going on and I didn't notice it. I think the Fablemans as a title sells the movie short in terms of like getting people to know what they're walking into. I'm pretty sure like the first time I heard the title, I probably knew he was making an autobiographical we got it that time, uh, movie uh, like about his life and the divorce that we've seen come up on screen since E.T. Um, but when I heard that name, I think what instantly went into my mind was some kind of movie like 3,000 Years of Longing where we just get a bunch of fables over and over again in various vignettes. I didn't, it didn't 
put put it together in my brain that it was actually a name until it's much, been, much later. The latest hero in the MCU, Fableman. Yeah, I mean, I you could have talked me into that, and maybe DC is doing some new stuff. Like they, I, they announced you know. a lot of stuff today, I believe. Yeah, I I I don't know. I really don't. I mean, to talk about like to date, it's gross twenty five million dollars worldwide off a forty million dollar budget. I don't know. Like on the one hand, um, and maybe we'll play a little bit of a game here. On the one hand, Andrew. I would be inclined to say I just don't think the audience is there for a film like The Fablemans to make its money back and then some. Steven Spielberg or no Steven Spielberg, I just don't think it's there. There is another side to this coin, Andrew. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. We're going to see if you're going to get here. I don't know if you're going to get very far with this. I don't blame you if not. There has been... What, what I'll first describe, I, I think, I don't know if this means something to you, it might some viewers, what I would describe the trailer that Universal put out for the Fablemans as is the Sony Pictures Classics trailer. I don't know if you know what Sony Pictures Classics is or if you're aware of that. I'm sure I've seen it on a screen. but It was it was the, the shingle of Sony that used to acquire for slightly higher brow audiences, but not really. It was older audiences. It was older audiences interested in awards fair and maybe some premium directors. And it was going to be packaged to them in a very safe and nice way, regardless if that's actually what the film was or not. Um, This felt like that, which to me is closer to what the film is than I think some people have painted as, but there's definitely there's a happy medium it could have it could have shown you a little bit more and i think that entices more people in now there is a film that was literally released by sony not sony pictures classic doesn't really function that way but this is one of the most middle of the road middle audience pitched at that older demographic over the holidays what are they going to go see movies before I say anything else with this movie, do you know what it is? Are you saying for from this year? I mean, technically from the the very end of last year, but yes, so recent weeks. No, that's yeah, that's what I meant. You know how my brain's still in twenty twenty two. Um, this is really good podcasting when I try and think really quickly. Uh, it's okay. Go ahead. So the movie is the Tom Hanks star, A Man Called Otto. A Man Called Otto, do you want to guess how much that film was made for? I believe you've probably seen a trailer at some point, and that's all you've seen. I have. Um, I'm going to guess $25 million. $50 million. Okay. I have seen the film. I'll get to that in a second. I don't know where the $50 million went, except maybe Tom Hanks' pocket. I guess that's a place for $50 million to go. Um, $50 million. Do you know, Andrew, how much money a man called Otto has grossed for a while? $15 million. $71.5 million. Andrew, this movie is completely unhinged. It is one of the weirdest things I've seen in a long time. 
I don't mean that in obviously there are weirder things I see where I go in and I'm like I'm gonna go see a pretty weird movie here and it turns out it's pretty weird uh but I, I saw the trailer for this and I was like this looks pretty bad but I'm there's a Tom Hanks movie out I have a curiosity I'm gonna go and see it and I knew it was a remake um I did not know what the Swedish film it was adapted from was specifically about the the original was called a man called ove and i was not prepared for how dark how weird and how honestly insane a man called otto was i don't know what it like it's is it feel good it's certainly not for most of it maybe a certain kind of audience member just ultimately gets worked on and comes out of it and yeah okay they take something they take some message from the film by the end of it um, but it is unhinged, and I, I really struggle to imagine even like the audience that's supposedly the audience for that film going to it, coming out of it, and telling all of their friends, "Oh my God, you've got to see a man called Otto. It's the most moving film I've seen in years. Tom Hanks has never been better." Like I honestly, I just can't make sense of it. I don't know how that happened. Uh, it's not like this is a smash hit, but. One, a film like that being made for $50 million is directed by Mark Forster. Does Mark Forster's name mean anything to you? Really kind of weird directorial career, but there's certainly a couple of things that may stick out in your memory. Such as? Well, he directed a James Bond film, Quantum of Solace. Oh, yeah, um, you, you did tell me that. Um, He also directed World War Z. Hmm. Um, Monsters Ball. This, ah. this this was a guy who was very much at the more grown up range and the harder edged. Not the man called Otto was definitely grown up. I don't I don't mean to make it sound like all the the TikTokers are going to see a man called Otto. Uh, That's where the seventy one million came from. Just the whole thing is weird, and obviously Tom Hanks can get any movie together, and Tom Hanks can clearly still get people into audiences, into cinemas. Excuse all of my not getting words out. You know, Andrew and I are we're we're just we're content machines at the moment, and does it take its toll? Maybe. Uh, Semi-professional friends online is what I would describe us as. But my my point with this, it's like, why are we spending so much time talking about a man called Otto? Is like this is the counter. Like this, this is actually the film. It went a little bit later. It was braver, or maybe it punted and went like, "Oh, we don't think we're gonna get something." So sure, let's go up against Avatar: The Way of Water. It was the thing that obviously stuck in theaters, where they were like, "Okay, we're gonna have whatever twelve screens blocked off for Avatar, but we're gonna keep this one as some of the counter programming," and everyone. I guess you want to counter programming when to see it. It's it's a fascinating counterpoint because it is the thing where you're like, that should have been like the minimum for the Fablemans, and I think a few years ago it would have been. Is a man called Otto a better name than the Fablemans? Honestly, it probably is when you've just got Tom Hanks standing on the poster and you're like, oh, Tom Hanks is in this film and he is a man called Otto. I'm in. Like, I guess that's who it works for people and where you get this really treacly trailer for the Fablemans 
and it doesn't really it, it's like it's afraid to show some of the depth that's there because you know people might not want to go and see that at the movies they may want to go for a nice time and my colorado is a film about suicide like it's may not ultimately be about that if you want to make the case for it I'm saying it. I I honestly think people should know it. It was one of my thoughts. There it was I had no idea. As somebody who knows, I'm like, holy shit! This is like, this is intense, and this is not what I expected. And that film is the one that made lots of money. I don't know what to take from that. I don't know what it says about like where people's interest is on in Steven Spielberg. What it says about the marketing, but it is just like a really interesting comparison i i don't think those two things can be just completely set aside from each other because it says something incredibly weird but important about where movies are at the end of 2022 into 2023 uh will we wrap up the ones with maybe our, our final thoughts or anything in particular we really like there is one thing that i do need to talk about which this is if you don't want uh, a, a cameo, a very fun cameo, which you probably know about if you care at this point. Honestly, I knew about it. I wish I didn't, but I did know about it. If you don't want it spoiled for you, it comes pretty much right at the end of the Fable ones. I'd say skip forward just a couple of minutes. And Jordan Trusky, I want you to listen to this spoiler. Oh, no, so I, watch I, the movie. I, told, I told Jordan months ago. Honestly, I told Jordan, just straight up told him months ago. I was like, Jordan, I feel like it's important you know this. And what I told Jordan was that David Lynch is acting in The Failments. And who is David Lynch playing? He is playing the legendary director, John Ford, eye patch and all. And David Lynch chewed on that scenery. It's amazing. There's very few things I enjoy more than David Lynch acting. He's, <laughs> I guess, an incredibly gifted actor in some ways. Uh, I I don't know how it came to this. Like, uh, I wonder what him and Spielberg's relationship is, if there ever was one, how they approached. I've no doubt there's mutual respect there, but I don't know if they actually ever had a relationship where Spielberg just picked up a phone and was like, hey, Dave, I want you to play John Ford. Like, and <laughs> he's just like, sure, let me finish recording the weather for today and I'll be right over. Um... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how it came about. I think that is a really fun final step for the movie. The actual end of this film. What are your thoughts on it? Where he basically like skips away on a studio lot? I was like, I'm not feeling this. Could we not have could we not have ended this a scene earlier somehow? Or could we not give it a couple of scenes more? Because this isn't it. It was like the opposite of how I described my reaction to Babylon, where it's like the very last shot I liked, but leading up to that, I was like back and forth on, whereas I really loved all of the, the John Ford stuff uh, and kind of that exchange. <laughs> but yeah, it was a little too, uh, I don't know, it was a little too Hollywood, for lack of a do better you, term. Do you think that was a Wizard of Oz like reference or tribute? That's my only thing, is that he was like already going down the Elbert Road. I have no idea. I... I hope not, because saying that out loud, I'm cringing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I don't think it was that, but I, I don't know what it was. Not. It was just it was very homespun. I mean, to wrap up on this, I do think this is obviously a really good film, a very watchable film. I don't think people are going to watch it and be like, "Oh, that was a terrible time," or "That was bad." 
Um, Spielberg knows how to make a movie. Some great, great people in this cast. We, we haven't mentioned Gabriel LaBelle at all, who plays Sammy Fableman. I see a real resemblance. Sure, it's in a Hollywood way, but to young Spielberg and the energy. If you see like pictures of Spielberg in his early 20s, when he is certainly at the head and where Coppola might be the the guy who's kind of got the the hectic creator energy who kind of brings that whole wave of filmmakers in his back. And Scorsese takes some of that too. I know Schrader had his own interests. The Palma had his own interests. Spielberg was the coolest looking. As in, he had a confidence to him at that time where you're like, okay, you could see it in just pictures from that time. You're like, okay, Spielberg was channeling something right from the start that probably explains part of what becomes his career, part of how he like channeled that talent into having the legendary career he has had. And I think Gabriel LaBelle captured that really, really well. That was a really good performance. Also, just, I think the siblings were a little bit given short shrift, but shout out Julia Butters of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fame. thought she was really good, and it's always fun and interesting to see an actor who makes a really strong impression as a child in a film, and then you start to see them aging, and it's like, okay, what's, what's that look like? bit like um Rafi Cassidy in White Noise I think when we talked about that and the just even the kind of the few years difference from kill, Killing of a Sacred Deer to White Noise for her um it's it's always interesting seeing that kind of progression seeing well what kind of actor does someone shape into as they grow into their teens and eventually become adults Anything Yeah I didn't have much more uh, really enjoyed it uh I think especially if the the kind of emotional and dramatic notes of the marriage falling apart uh, work for you like they did for me. Um, that along with just the journey of Spielberg becoming Spielberg, obviously all the him making his eight millimeter uh, movies are, are great and uh, really fun to watch those come together. Um, so really w- worth your time. <laughs> and uh, I guess Adam said we, it, we've had two months of runway, so people should have seen it. But then we talked about the box office return. So People didn't see it. So, yeah, go fire it up on streaming. All right, let's pivot to the small screen where I guess people will watch the Fablemans mostly as well. Um, On the small screen at the moment, getting plenty of attention, I think deservedly so, is The Last of Us. We are now three episodes into the HBO adaptation of the sensation, the smash hit video game. I want to keep this really simple to start. I mean, we talked about setting the table and where we were at. Um, Andrew laid out his history, and I think effectively that episode one was kind of as far as he, he had got our... Yeah, episode one, which was a double episode, being as far as you had gotten the game. So going past that, everything was new to you. There's certainly been quite a few things that have changed up, which is, I think, always a good thing in an adaptation. I don't know if I love the, all the specifics, but I think just doing that is is good. You're approaching a TV show or a movie in the right way if you are making changes. Um, but what's what's your reaction three episodes in? Also considering the fact that you now just like openly hate TV, resent having to watch it. So you're checking in with this thing every week, knowing that there's a chance that I might do this on a podcast but are you enjoying it? Are you getting something from it? Where are you at on this show right now? 
Yeah, I love it. Flat out. No, no, no caveats or anything. I love it. I do, do I take a few days to watch episodes after they air because I am who I am? Yes. Uh, did I? Obviously, I didn't know that we were going to do this on this episode because we had talked about Spielberg. So that could have been enough for a whole episode. But then we felt pretty strongly, especially about episode three. So it would feel stupid not to talk about it. But the reason I accelerated my viewing or not accelerated, but I finally got my acting gear is a group chat with friends were making fun of me and saying things like it was crazy in the end of episode three when all, all the Marvel's characters came in and saved the day. And they said, you have until tonight or this becomes a spoiler chat. <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right, assholes. I'm watching. I'm watching. And you, did, um, you didn't even take that long in that case. You actually you beat me to the punch. Uh, today's Tuesday. Yeah, I yeah, I watched it. Mid-day you watch Monday. it next day. That's not yeah. bad. Y- you know how society is uh society my two friends um yeah episode two i thought was just like really good context for what we're watching in quote unquote our present viewing and then for me obviously coming to this from a fresher place it's just more world building and kind of getting to see uh in this case like what joel and tess know about the world that they're walking into that we don't know and also seeing um Ellie sort of be exposed to new things because we talked about last week the the characters that are are born within this very unique environment like seeing something like a a video game or uh, an airplane or uh, a working car is like something that's mind-blowing to them so I I like further building out the world and learning what various characters experiences have been and then obviously learning more about the elephant in the room like what is this how was it mismanaged uh where was their you know human failings and stopping this and co- corruption and uh moral quandaries so i think it's it's doing a very good job of just building all of that out so that if you're someone that uh has not played the game you still you're you're not like left behind or anything like that. And learning in in time as you watch it is fine. And then obviously, especially do you in know, like, I guess... do you know? I just I've got to stop you on saying left behind. Do you know that like the bridge game between the last of us games is called Left Behind? I did not. I'm more of a fan fan of the novels and the the film adaptation with Kevin Sorbo. But continue. If if I'm getting, I'm I don't think I'm mixing up the name let me check no i'm not uh i do know from just shots we've seen of trailers what is going to be the ellie episode like the ellie backstory deep dive episode maybe in some ways the equivalent to this episode in terms of okay let's take a step back from the now and like explore a moment in time and get a kind of clearer picture of things that is based on yeah, kind of mini game called The Last of Us Left Behind. So I just had to unknowingly you're even you're setting up what's to come. There we go. Um so and then obviously Episode the last... Episode seven, sorry, Andrew, is is title Left Behind. So that's when we've got to look forward to that. And the last hour and a half of uh episode three bridging into the end of episode two raises not raises, but continues to hit us with higher emotional moments that really just humanize all the people in this world and like just i don't know i've I've been very impressed um the best way i can say it especially is 
because I'm not, I'm not going to go out and make a statement that episode three is one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in a while because I don't watch enough TV for that statement to mean anything. But what I will say is it has the, for a TV show, it had the rare ability to suck me in and just gather my full attention and me put my phone down and say, I'll tell Adam I'm watching the episode and get his thoughts after. Like, I'm not going to text midstream because like I'm fully engrossed in what's happening. The performances, the the world building and all that. So I couldn't be more impressed with the first three episodes of the show and especially episode three, which obviously was something that game players were not expecting. So I imagine that was a similar experience for everyone. I was expecting it because this one has been one, like anyone who's paid even the slightest bit of attention to the buzz around the show. Um, this is the one that critics have just not been able to keep their mouth shut about. And even when reviews, full series reviews came out before the pilot aired, it was like, okay, just everyone keep your eyes peeled for episode three. Episode three is something special. Um, It was no secret that Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett were cast as Bill and Frank. Um, So that was, that was something too that I think people had some idea of, okay, this might be how they approach it. Honestly, this was quite close to my head to how I thought they were going to tackle this. But this is also very different to the game. Um, I guess the overall setup is quite similar in that Joel and Ellie are going to find Bill in search of a battery for a truck so they can get across the country to Wyoming. Um, and essentially continue on with their mission. But when they come to find Bill, Frank is already gone. We find out Frank has taken his own life, and in a way that is not romantic like his setup here. Very, very different story and very different circumstances, and I guess shades the character of Bill in a very different way too. Um, so that is that is interesting, but this is kind of how I figured they would do it. I think it's a no-brainer. I guess the most interesting thing is that they decide to do a full episode of this right now at this point, so early in the show. It takes real confidence. I think it takes real fate in your audience, but it's also something that's helped along when you know you have the inbuilt popularity of the game and you know that audience is there and that they may like seeing a deeper exploration of characters that aren't quite as fully fleshed out or their backstory is taking place off screen in the game. I think that's a nice idea generally in terms of you get this series order, you're making this project for one of the things to be like, how can we expand the world and actually show someone else's story um, or how someone else lived life? Because we're certainly going to get a very comprehensive picture of how people like Joel and Ellie live their life. Um, so, big fan of that. Much like, I have to say, at the beginning of episode two, I think the the mycologist in Jakarta and the whole Jakarta setup, I have some issues with how our, uh, our mushroom event in this particular instance 
reacts and how it spreads and some of the choices that have come from that. I thought the actual setup, though, to begin episode two and um, in Indonesian, that scientist saying the word bomb, um, that's a great, great scene and fits into the the cold open to start the series of like the 60s chat show talking about an event like this if it were to happen um it kind of ties into the larger creativity there all that stuff is really really working for me i just think overall like there's no fear in taking big swings there's so much confidence i think there's probably a confidence in the source material that comes from neil Druckmann being involved again so he's got his source material and then someone like craig Mazin comes in they work together and they are not afraid to make this a tv show which is essential like there's there's no point in doing it otherwise there's no point in just putting cameras in front of this and being like okay it's now a tv show rather than a game that is honestly how all the terrible adaptations of video games for movies and tvs and tv have happened over the years so i'm glad to see they're not doing that and i i think they're being really smart with it like one of the things for as much as episode three it moved me and what I'm always going to think about it with it is Bill and Frank and their story and the performances of Offerman and Bartlett. I do think they really effectively use that story to inform Joel and Ellie too. Like they that's that's important. There may be more subtle ways you can do it, but I I don't think the show needs to be subtle if it's going to be as graceful as this, I think if if it's going to prove to you, oh, we're going to really be kind of gentle and caring in showing humanity and humanity trying to persevere if I true this, I, I think most people will probably forgive it a lot of things. I, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen some, but I've seen some waves of backlash to this episode. I don't just mean in a, like... I don't just mean because this is a depiction of a gay couple. I have no doubt that that backlash is out there too. Um, but just various different kind of angles, I guess you can approach where people weren't as crazy about this um, or trying to work one way or another. One criticism has been, oh, well, Station Eleven just did all of this and did it better. Um, I'll shout out Andy Greenwald and the watch. I was listening to watch and this summed up something I've been thinking of too because I've been thinking about that show which I really admired but I didn't necessarily love. There are a couple of episodes that blew me away and uh, some performances that absolutely knocked my socks off on that show but the whole thing wasn't something where I'm like yeah this is all just this all came together for me. Um, This is not Station Eleven. This is not Station Eleven. It's doing something that is much broader, much more mainstream. This is an adaptation of a massive commercial success video game. And it's one that is trying to balance, I guess, let's go somewhat uh, Fablemansy on it, art and commerce, or the kind of the two sides of the coin here and get the balance right. So far it is. So far it is. I think there is substance here there is something that looks good that's very very kind of accomplished in terms of how it's made but that's also just fun entertaining to go through and i i think will really ramp up as well like i don't know how well you feel like you kind of know maybe ellie in particular i don't know how much you kind of feel like you're getting 
a sense of the trills of the world. I will say the museum sequence, like that's a really fun part of the game to play. That was recreated in a way that feels authentic to the game, but also felt exciting to see on screen, not just in, a, oh, I remember that, but in a, oh, I, I think this works in this arena too. The one thing I will mention, which is probably like the only negative I have on this at the moment, um, I understand why, maybe you don't know, maybe some people listening don't know. So one absolutely colossal difference between how how people get infected, how this spreads in the game versus how it's spreading in the TV shows. In the game, it's airborne. And you've got spores and it's not necessarily something that is maybe as difficult to to catch as it could be in the TV show. That could be could be a case made for that. Um, I think some of it has been really interesting. I think the idea of like the fungal network, where if you stand on some stuff, it's, it triggers that, and they all come charging. That stuff's good. Like that's that's a good idea in a cinematic sense. The scene that gave us Tess's end, though, where she ends up kissing. No, just I I one. I mean, I don't think the shock value outweighs the fact that I don't think anyone particularly wants to see that and I don't think it's like the most effective way to send off that character or to do I don't know I wasn't seeing like the great tragedy in this I was just kind of like, this is not how I would do this it's not going to take the whole show down for me but obviously all of that is kind of informed by the decision of they do not want all of these characters all of these actors going around with like gas masks and the equivalent on their face for the entire time so they've reworked that because it's TV I don't know if it works quite as well Um, I do think the design work and the practical design has been really really great so far for the infected and I will be waiting to see how that continues to level up for some of what will for this purpose we'll call creatures and this we see that play out, but I, I found out really effective. It looks exactly like the game, but in the best way possible, because I wouldn't have seen that as necessarily being something that would happen. I think is about as good as any kind of practical monster effects I've seen for a little while. I don't know if any of that is working for you, if you've thoughts on how all of that looks, considering you don't have the same level of familiarity with it. Uh, and for that reason, I think it all works well. I mean, the the monsters, for lack of a better term, are sufficiently terrifying, uh, especially the ones that, like, have the giant heads that look like, I don't know, they don't have eyes or brains Clickers. or whatever's happening. Yeah, those guys are scary as all get out. Uh, the the kiss from a rose was quite something. Uh, that was, uh, I, I was, I was like, uh. Uh, what's it? What's the character name I'm looking for? I can't remember. John C. Riley in Talladega Nights, where he's like, "I'm not sure I understand your tactics." Um, <laughs> it might be, it might be, it might be Will Ferrell that says that, but uh, I can't remember. Uh, but uh, I was like, I don't know. I think this can be accomplished. Like whatever your diversion or slowing them down, you're trying to do. You don't have to. Uh, suck my kiss. Red Hot Chili Peppers reference. I've done two Kiss song references. I, there's something about that, like it's a really striking image. I was interested by Druckmann directing that episode too, and part of that was like, is that him being like, I want to 
I want to make sure this episode feels like TV as opposed to a game. And I really want to push that. Like, it's a strong image and I don't dispute that. I just wasn't entirely sure. But it feeds into a lot of bigger decisions with the show that I think ultimately as it goes on are not going to be important and we'll just kind of leave aside and you won't necessarily even notice the mechanics of it. Um, but it's it's interesting all the same to see them go that route. The show's great though. I'm having a lot of fun. One other show I want to quickly shout out. And then you can you can say anything else you've got in the last source before we wrap up. Uh Poker Face. First four episodes up on Peacock. Um Ryan Johnson directed. He doesn't direct the entire show, but he certainly got it up and running. Natasha Leone stars. Just old fashioned TV, Andrew. Um, but Certainly elevated to extent. It's really, really strong. The level of filmmaking is great for Ryan Johnson. Level of craft all around, but the cast, I mean, the and the depths of it throughout the entire series from what I've seen of who's in it, the way people are just being dotted in for really quite small guest spots and cameos. I mean, like Oscar-nominated people, and you're just like, oh, well, that's, that's not how I remember TV being in the past. It's it's great. It really, really is great. I've had so much fun. I've watched three episodes so far. Um, I'm putting this out here in part just because, you know, it's in Andrew's ears. He has to hear it, and maybe he watches it at some point at the end of this, the series. We'll we'll talk about it. But, yeah, if anyone else, if you've kind of come across it, you've been thinking about it, but you haven't started yet, or if you're on the fence entirely, I would recommend Poker Faves. I think it's... It's both really, really good and a lot of fun, which those two things don't always go together. Um, and I do think it's an interesting project off the back of what, well, I think people on the pod probably heard. Glass Onion, a film that you and I were not crazy about. I think this strips back a lot of the things we didn't like about Glass Onion and kind of gives you distillation of the best of Ryan Johnson. I look forward to getting around to that in 2026. Um, really excited about it. Uh, yeah, love The Last of Us. Maybe I'll actually make a good faith effort to watch Poker Face. Um, I'm, you know, I, 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 I take suggestions from time to time. I think that like The Last of Us thing, and if you could do this, I think you're, it sounds like your friends would appreciate this too. It might make your life easier. But let's say on a Sunday where you do have the opportunity. I don't know if even one part of this, maybe Poker Face could be, you know, could be entire household viewing and that works. There is something about Sunday, which HBO know this, they've got it cornered. But it's a lot easier to watch like, oh, I have a couple of shows that I'm watching weekly. And on Sunday, I have two hours and I see those two shows. And that's it until next week. Like, I personally like it to play out like that too it doesn't necessarily happen uh, it requires me staying up to like 2am to do that with the last of us I've done it in two of the three weeks so far we'll see going forward but there is something about that that just still feels like the most effective and most interesting way to watch TV Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that things have kind of trended back that way to some extent but look you, you watch however you watch however you feel works best for you but I do think just the idea of watching a TV show even would feel less daunting to you 
if yeah you'll have a few poker face episodes to get through first because they dropped four to begin with i don't think you'd find that to be a real chore and then i think you know maybe these things things could be paired for you just in whatever order seems best for like your sunday night viewing or something yeah we'll see what happens um I'll 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 provide uh, progress reports for the listeners. And let, them, Folks, let them know how I'm doing. That would be a no on poker face from Andrew. Uh, we'll see though. We'll see. Maybe it's maybe a, I'll keep working on it. I'm sure my hard guy maybe. Numax gonna watch. Maybe he's listening. He could step up. Jordan Tresky. I'm just I'm putting it out there, not to make your seat feel too hot. I'm sure there are other GSPNers who. Uh, might come on a talk poker face if you're gonna just be like, nah, not for me. You and I both know the rea- reliability of our friends in this department <laughs> and getting them on the show is very hit or miss, Adam. So I'm feeling pretty good in the seat. If they start wow, to turn I the pressure on, if they start to if they start to turn the pressure on, you know, I might like uh, I'm like a horse that you know. I'm leading the race. If if another horse starts to track me down, I'll really kick it into gear in the last length. Is that what they call those? Um, not a big yeah, horse racing guy. Yeah, great there. That was a great horse racing analogy all around. I'm like a horse. It's just a fantastic <laughs> way to start. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I'll get around to it. Maybe Sunday. What am I doing Sunday? I don't know. Well, you'll not be watching, watching The Last of Us. That's what you'll be watching. All right, we'll have more talk on the lassos, maybe even some talk of poker face down the road. Um, who knows? Maybe Andrew just crunches all that tape. He's like, I need to talk about it now. We'll see what's coming next week. There's some more films on the agenda. Um, I do not know if they are films that we want to do a podcast about. We will see. There's some new things coming out that are detached from the Oscar race. It could be interesting. There are some things that are coming out here that are in the Oscar race that maybe Andrew could see too and I don't know we could record a hell of a podcast on uh, we'll make our decisions you'll hear from us next week one way or another might be at the expense of said poker face <laughs> well, who knows we'll find out um, if you like what we do first and foremost Repod you've probably heard us talk about Repod in recent weeks on the on the podcast it's basically our new community for all things related to our various GSPN shows. That includes Make Time for This. If you want to have a place where you can go and check out the pods and never miss an episode, listen to them on a new native player. Really, really nice design. Really sturdy, good to use. Does does the trick for me, Andrew. Um, if you want to talk As Ty us, noted, well, one of the... As Ty noted, one of the major podcast players i won't say which was down i'm gonna be wary about how strongly ty went in on that i honestly those kind of proclamations make me nervous he's like but that i'm just saying i'm just saying what didn't go down and i'm like oh god ty i can't see this going back to bite us it it just in the moment it gave it gave us exactly what we needed and allowed us to keep our routine going he's not wrong that's what i'll say he's not wrong he will listen to pods on repod when Lots of other people weren't listening to pods elsewhere. Um, beyond that, though, and the main thing is from episode to episode, you can go check out the episode page. We'll have always pretty much got a post up there, but you can go back and forward. So you got thoughts on episode, you want to talk through things with Andrew and I, go do it. Go do it. We're there. We're waiting for you. 
whether it's Fablelands, whether it's The Last of Us, whether it's Poker Face, if you want to go and tell Andrew, actually, Andrew, you do need to watch this because I want to hear you talk about it on a podcast. You could go do that too. Um, joinrepod.com forward slash make time for this. That's where you'll find that. As always, we're available wherever you get your podcasts, whatever your podcast platform of choice, go check out Make Time for This. Rest of the Eurostep Podcast Network. We've got the main GSPN feed, home to the Eurostep, and the Winning Six podcast covering all things Milwaukee Bucks. Trade deadline is almost here. Jake Crowder is taking meetings with the Bucks. I don't entirely know what that means still. I'm still trying to work it out, but that is what is happening. Who knows? Maybe by the time you listen to this, more than that is happening. That is the nature of this time of year. We'll have all things covered on the main Eurostep Podcast Network feed. Talking to Tundra, talking all things Green Bay Packers. Will he or won't he be back? We know that Numak and Jordan desperately want Aaron Rodgers back for at least one more year. Will that happen? Tune in to Talking to Tundra to find out. And last but by no means least, cruising for a bruising. The place where Andrew and I talk all things Milwaukee Brewers. We are continuing on our journey back in time. We're talking 2018. We're talking about all current Brewers happenings too. Never miss anything on the Brew Crew cruising for a bruising. That does it for us for this time. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.